0: welcome everyone to the food farms and chefs radio show with restaurant industry author kevin wilson highly acclaimed chef gene blum and food photojournalist Amaris pollock join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry tell you about the latest food trends and give you recipes and cooking tips too so let's get the show started
1: Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast, our listeners on talk radio, WWDB, and our new listeners on WPEN HD2 97.5 FM. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. Today we have a huge show. It features one of the top restaurateurs in Philadelphia, Ellen Yin, who is the founder and co-owner of High Street Hospitality Group. They own such amazing restaurants such as Fork, High Street Philly, A Kitchen, and much more. We have a wonderful interview with Pole Gailey. She is one of the owners of Lower Forge Brewery in Medford, New Jersey. And then we're going to end this fantastic episode talking about a great giveaway that we will be giving out next week in honor of our third anniversary. And Chef Gene Talks Peach Pie And welcome, America. So let's get this great show started. Amorous Pollock, introduce your fantastic guest.
2: Hi. So I would like to introduce Food Farms and Chefs listeners to Ellen Yin, who is one of the most amazing restaurateurs and chefs in the city. She has her hands in so many things. And I, while researching her, was like, does she ever sleep? I don't know. But Ellen, thank you for joining us on the show. Why don't you say hello and tell us a little bit about how you got started in the business?
3: Hey, Amorous Hi, Jean. Um, so um, I, like many, many others in the industry, started out um, in high school as a bus girl in a restaurant in my hometown in Monmouth County, New Jersey, where there was a French restaurant. Um, and these folks trained me from bus girl to server to bartender and I just always loved the hospitality industry and never really found anything between um then and the time I opened Fort that really made me feel as um satisfied with my work as the restaurant industry so crazy as that may seem so um so yeah the restaurant industry has been in my blood for a really long time I I went to high school in my hometown and moved to Philadelphia to come to college. And, um, you know, the whole time thinking that I wanted to open a restaurant and realized quickly um, that um, I wasn't going to have the financial means to do so and that my parents weren't going to be really excited for me to do that either and to put the money in. So I had to follow, um, you know, a normal career path.
2: <clears throat> and in I, if I remember correctly, you went into the healthcare group, um, hospitality area. Of- so,
3: yeah, I, I started out working in a small advertising agency in Philadelphia, and um, you know I wanted to be in the cre- in some sort of creative um, uh, business, and so I thought advertising would be it. And my other thing that I was passionate about was healthcare, and so. After I realized that the advertising um, industry wasn't for me, I, I went back and I got my master's degree in healthcare administration and um, worked at a hospital in Center City, Philadelphia at Thomas Jefferson. Um, and, you know, and then I realized that um, that looking at Food and Wine Magazine, everybody who was opening restaurants was in their, you know, early 30s and you know, maybe this was the time that, maybe it was the time to open a restaurant. So I got together with my classmate from grad school, Roberta Sella, and I, and we've been partners for almost 25 years. Um, and we opened our first restaurant, Fork.
2: Which, um, <clears throat> sorry, I have to clear my throat, but which I've actually been to Fork a couple of times. What, But one of the first times that I went to Fork, I had high tea, Uh, I don't know if you're still running that or not, but it was one of the most fantastic high teas that I've ever been to. (laughs) (laughs)
3: We're not doing it anymore, but, um, but maybe, maybe in the near future, I think we're always trying to reinvent ourselves because, you know, over, over the course of 25 years, um, you have to constantly be changing and not just, you know, remaining in the same place because the food scene has, definitely matured and become way more sophisticated over the past 25 years.
2: It has. And, you know, and I know with the pandemic, you've had to, you know, I hate to have to overuse this word, but pivot. Um, and you you created an, an outlier um, off of Let's Talk Women, and you did Let's Talk Philly, um, and you had even opened up and done a tasting menu from several of the other women-owned businesses, or restaurants, for uh, informational, like supportive version of a you know a sit-down tasting menu dinner.
3: Well, you know, I'm I'm um, can't really take credit for for any of that because um, somebody else who I know reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in being part of Let's Talk, which is a national um, collaboration of women based in um, uh, Chicago, um, Atlanta, uh, Boston, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, um, Cincinnati. And uh, this this woman, Rohini Day, who was a member of the James Beard Foundation um, women's program um asked me do you think that you would be interested in being part of you know this this Zoom conference call that I'm holding of women um in my city to hear how maybe something like this could form in Philadelphia so she was really the inspiration behind let's talk women and still is largely very involved with all the let's talk chapters throughout the country um i just thought it was an amazing opportunity for all of us to connect at a time when there was so much uncertainty and you know you just need that that um opportunity to kind of sometimes um get ideas from other people vent you know um ask questions maybe have other people come in and talk um, and that's what we did starting in i think july of 2020 we started Gathering on Zoom on a monthly basis, and I would say about twenty women or so started collaborating, and that grew into um, uh, the Sisterly love Food Fairs, which Bridget Foy really founded and um, became part of um, let's talk uh, Philadelphia. Um, you know, we started um in March doing a series of women's panels uh, where um, we were showcasing what women were doing because. I think that what has happened to the restaurant industry is really inspiring and um, something that any business person, any entrepreneur can learn from, uh, because who really thinks that something like this could possibly happen? I mean, I certainly didn't think that my restaurant would end up possibly being closed because of the pandemic. I mean, like I thought, well, maybe, you know, if if fork ever, you know, at one point we'll have to close. But. Um, if for closed it wasn't it would be because either times have changed so much, it's no longer in fashion, I'm t- sick of it, you know those would be legitimate reasons why a restaurant might close, but ne- I never imagined that it would be from a pandemic.
2: I know no one imagined the pandemic could <laughs> in this day and age, like who would have guessed a pandemic would have hit us with our medical background? Right. Um, so, exactly. yeah, and so it's it's amazing that, you know, you and so many other restaurant tours were able to, you know, pivot and, you know, find different ways to stay afloat. Um, now, Gene actually has a question for you.
4: More of a, a statement, uh, Ellen. You were, as a restaurant, I used to go to Fork <laughs> quite often and and I held some team building events there through the years. One of the things that, I adored about your style and your input was the amazing training that your staff has. I, one thing in particular that caught me and endeared me to Fork and to you right off the bat. Many years ago, I was going for a very important family function, and we were going to Fork. Babysitter was late getting to my house, blah, 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 blah. We get down, and we get down to the restaurant late. It's already a long line to get in. You know, we're we're late for our reservation. And your staff at the door, no problem, Mr. Blum. We understand traffic will be there. We'll be right with you. Can we get you a drink in the meantime? And by the way, happy anniversary. <laughs> it was, it just took everything that was wrong that day, the traffic getting down there, the babysitter running late, the and that one person that was obviously you know, trained really well just made all that go away, and I was able to sit down and have an absolutely fabulous meal. And it struck me as a chef and an instructor and, and in the hospitality industry, wow, somebody who gets training and developing their staff. And every time I went back and did a team-building event or anything like that, It was always that way. So kudos to you, kudos to your staff, obviously. But, you know, you, I know, were very big on really developing your people. And, you know, I think that set a tone for a lot of the rest of the city.
2: And it's funny. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's funny that Jean mentions that because one of the things that I wanted to touch on is the fact that you foster mentor- and mentorship um, the your staff as well. That, you know, unlike some restaurants that might want to, that see all of those skills within their staff members, you foster the the staff members to be like, no, I'm going to move forward. So... Why don't you talk about how, you know, you mentor other staff members, other chefs, and, you know, as they continue to move on in their career paths?
3: Well, you know, I, um, one thing I feel about Fork is that, you know, I was looking at our HR records and, um, you know, there's thousands of people who have come through our doors. There's a high turnover rate within the restaurant industry, as you both know, and, um, mentoring people isn't that easy because um, you know you don't. It can't be forced. It's something that just kind of develops over time. And one of the things that has to develop is a trust in the people that you're. you're the mentor and the mentee both have to want it and and feel trust. So from time to time, you know, um, there are are people who come through our organization, and sometimes you know you have ongoing relationships with them, and other times you might. Not hear from them for a couple of years, and then they kind of re-entering your life, and um, so there's no one way that it happens. But I do think that you know I'm grateful to all the people who come through my doors, and I just want them all to be better. You know, whatever <laughs> some kids are in high school, and you know, um, uh, you know if they if they make it through and they're able to financially support themselves. You know, through the through their college years, that's great. There's other people who come in and you know they want to open a restaurant in their near future, and um, you know if they if they get to that point, that's great. Um, so I, I I I just want people to to um, you know this is a community, so it's really important that you know as part of the community that you grow from being part of the community, and so I think it's a natural it's a natural mentorship that kind of evolves um, the way I see it. Um, and we do have some formal programs. Um, so, for for instance, a couple of years ago, we formed a women's um, roundtable and we just re- resurrected it recently um, uh, after we started being able to rebuild our team. But, um, you know, every restaurant right now is starting from ground zero and everybody has heard about the challenges of of of, you know, staffing and, um, you know, the exodus of many people from our industry. I mean, March, 2020 was devastating. I mean, we let go 150 people roughly across all our restaurants. And I'm sure many of them were already kind of thinking I'm, I'm ready to move on to something else. Um, Others, um, you know, um, couldn't wait to get back and, and others may still be coming back, but, um, but you know we have to replace that segment of our restaurant industry that is um, has had decided to move on and that is natural I mean that has been happening on an ongoing basis forever since the restaurant industry has been you know has been part of our society I'm sure there has been people who change careers all the time but right now we're in this pe- peculiar time where there's so many challenges in our industry about, you know, um, about tipping, um, diversity, equity, all these things that are kind of all all melding together um, and part of our um, our labor um, challenge right now. And so um, I thought that resurrecting the women's um, roundtable would be a good way, and it's open to everybody just because we call it the women's Roundtable. You know, we start with, um, you know, making sure that, that we have um, the voices of the women on our team heard and, um, and um, you know, ensuring that they have opportunities and that they can network with each other because, again, part of any group um, uh, being able to work together as a team is being able to trust one another. So, you know, having, having those colleagues and people to rely on is really important.
2: And you know, and that is important to have people that you can rely on. Um, and And I know that you know building a community and having that community to rely on and be able to um, face all of these challenges together is a is obviously integral to surviving. Um, and I know that you have done numerous things for the city in order to help that community. Um, And helped your staff, including joining Nicole Marquis, who, you know, began the, I believe, the COVID um, testing sites. Uh, You had joined forces with her on that um, petition in order to try to help, you know, your staff as all of these things started playing out to get testing for free, but also, I believe, vaccinated. Um, So, Nicole...
3: Formed um, Safe Philly Restaurants, and and you know there are a lot of restaurateurs that are that are part of um, you know getting us from last March through now. Um, and Nicole set this Save Philly Restaurants up, and um, it was a platform for a lot of restaurateurs to be able to have a voice, and um, it enabled us to have a seat with the city. Um, to talk to them on a weekly basis about trying to get our restaurants reopened as quickly as possible. And I think we all recognize that, um, you know, um, enabling testing and vaccination would be the key to ultimately, uh, keeping restaurants open as, as long as we possibly can, um, and, and moving into the future. So, um, I think that, um, when, we decided to, um, start the test when Nicole actually set up these testing sites. It was, it was perfect because cases were, were, we had just reopened to, I think, 50%. This was a great way to try to push the city to get, you know, another 25% in there. Um, we worked on ventilation standards to try to get restaurants who could meet the ventilation standards to 75%. And, um, and then, um, we also were able to raise some money with the, um, William Penn Foundation, the Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce, Jefferson University, and um, the PRLA, the Pennsylvania Restaurant and Lodging Association, those organizations came together, and we were able to raise some money to um, help um, uh, further testing. So the, the screenings were great because anybody could go every week that wanted to go, and if you had a if you had like a potential shutdown, you could use this. this this PRLA program to, you know, ensure that you didn't have to close as long as you did. And then when the vaccinations came out, um, uh, we all started setting up clinics and um, Dave Philly Restaurants was able to um, set up some large vaccination clinics, which enabled um, more restaurant employees to get vaccinated. So um, a lot of people, a lot of people participated in making all that happen. So, you know, it just shows how cohesive, you know, an industry that seemingly doesn't feel cohesive sometimes because it is so diverse. Um, but when um, uh, these restaurateurs come together and work together and collaborate together, that things can really get done.
4: Ellen, you are so absolutely spot on. I, I, You know, working with people like Dave McGrogan and Ben from the PRLA and Melissa from the PLRA and going out to the rallies and things like that, it was so nice to see an industry that people often think are competitors, standing side by side, you know, all working for a common good. Even when we opened and and staff was short, you know, seeing people sharing staff among each other or... Posting, you know, I have a couple open shifts and other people coming to their assistance. You know, it's been a really great moment in the Philadelphia restaurant scene and, you know, the restaurant scene in general. But, you know, but it came through leadership of people like yourself and, and Ben and Dave McGrogan and so many other people that, that worked on this. But as we come out of this, what, what do you see as the future here in in the next year for the re- Philadelphia restaurant industry?
3: Well, um, I, I, I mean, I feel relatively positive about it. Um, I know that um, staffing is short everywhere and that a lot of people have a lot of stress because of it. But I feel like um, uh, it's going to make our industry stronger. I think that there are opportunities to improve the way that the restaurant culture and the restaurant um, business model has been and that there's opportunities to make it better. And, um, you know, I'm, we're all trying to figure that out as we speak. Um, I think that there are going to be more opportunities given that, um, you know, there have been so many closings, um, you know, it's kind of sad to see the city center city be so, um, uh, you know, so many retail businesses closed, um, particularly in little neighborhoods like Old City and Rittenhouse Square, where, you know, it's typically much more vibrant. Um, but I, I feel positive about it. I think that it's going to make us better. And the fact that we've all collaborated in the past is, is um, you know, shows that we can do it. And um, we just have to keep pushing.
2: Exactly. And I mean, I do know that you are well aware of what it is, what is happening behind the scenes moving forward, because you are on top of everything else on the Philadelphia Regional Recharge and Recovery Task Force and the Small Business Ecosystem Advisory um, Council, as well as the Restaurant Advisory Committee to the city of Philadelphia. So um, I know that you're probably in various meetings discussing, you know, moving forward for the restaurant industry. And, and you know, as, I, as we have mentioned, you are one of the leaders within this community. Um, and we look forward to seeing what, what it is that the restaurant community has and where we're going to shift to.
3: Well, the interesting thing about the restaurant community is it it you know it is so diverse, but there are so many new interesting models that are coming up. I mean, chefs that maybe didn't weren't able to survive the pandemic have tons of opportunities to do remote things and to do ghost kitchens, and I mean, there's just so many new models of of doing business that. Um, I think that it will be really exciting to see how Philadelphia comes out of it. And certainly um, consumers' priorities have changed. You know, I, I mean, I, I think to myself, you know, um, you know, what will be the future of dine-in restaurants? And I, I still think that people want to go out and celebrate and be with each other. But maybe um, what it looked like previously, you know, three-hour dinners may not be where it's at anymore.
5: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so... <laughs> And um, speaking of ghost kitchens, you had started or launched, I should say, the Wonton Project, um, which is a delivery-only uh, project that benefits, uh, a f- like, a few different foundations that fight against Asian hate crimes. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about that launching of the Wonton Project?
3: Well, I have been thinking about this project, um, you know, last fall or winter because, um, uh, um, you know, we were trying to figure out how to utilize fork in the best way possible. And I thought, Oh, wouldn't it be fun to do something that's, you know, I'm, I'm Chinese, but like maybe nobody views me. I I don't know how people view me, but, you know, I view myself, um, you know, uh, as, as a Chinese person who owns a contemporary American restaurant. Um, and, um, I'm not a chef, um, just, uh, for the record. Um, so, you know, I can't, I can't really dictate what the menu is going to be specifically or anything like that. We have a general concept. And, um, you know, I was talking to a few people on, you know, uh, thinking about my mother's cooking and comfort food and things like that. And we thought, well, maybe it would be really fun to do something that's, um, you know, based on my, my mother's home cooking. And, Um, of things that I know how to make, which um, aren't that, um, that large (laughs) wontons are something simple and, um, you know, super comforting that anybody can really enjoy. And sometimes it's the most, um, uh, maybe most recognized Asian food um, in Chinese restaurants, but yet um, it's not anything like what we eat at home. So I thought, well, you know, we could get this going. And we did, but um, we could never get it off the ground because, um, you know, we were just always trying to reopen or something like that. And then in March, after the Atlanta shootings, I was just thinking, well, maybe this is a good way to bring some awareness um, of um, Asian, anti-Asian discrimination and, and um, to bring this to the table that um, this is something that no culture or no race, no religion should be discriminated against. Maybe there's something that we can do. So we decided, well, let's launch this as a way to raise money for, for, um, for this cause. And we found three or two organizations, Advancing Justice and Asian Americans United. And so for um, the month of May, we donated all the proceeds from the Wonton Project to, um, those two organizations. And now moving forward, um, we're keeping it alive. So you can still order, um, wontons to go or for delivery through, um, um, our website, wontonproject.com. And, um, uh, the proceeds, a percentage of proceeds will still benefit, um, Asian Americans United, which is a Philadelphia based, um, organization.
2: I love that um and and I love all of the other projects you have going on like the sisterly love food fair um which you know I know that Bridget Foy had started that but I I definitely have come across you one of the photos that uh is displayed in eater magazine is the photo that I took of you as you were uh, helping out with your high street, high street provisions. That was a really cold day. <laughs> it really was. And it snowed wow. out and it was right. Ra- like it was like that icy kind of like snow. Right, yeah. Yeah. But to your accord, I, I bought the, um, the, sa- the toasted sesame, I think sourdough loaf. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was amazing.
3: Well, thank you. Um, there's a Sisterly Love Happy Hour this um, Thursday, August 26th at um, Jet Wine Bar. And then um, September 8th is Bridget Foy. So this is being sponsored by Diageo. And um, the Happy Hours benefit the Sisterly Love um, Collaborative. And um, the um, week after that will be um, Positano Um Rosita Lamberti will be the host of that. And... Um, and also um, Sisterly Love Food Fairs will be back at that time. So um, I believe the next one is, and I'm so sorry, sorry, and
6: <laughs>
3: thank you, um, August, <laughs> August, we're closed, but somehow there's thousands of people in here. Um, August 28th, which is next Saturday, there will be a Sisterly Love Food Fair at Sweet um, Amalia um, Kitchen and Market. Uh, where one of our past High Street alums, Melissa McGrath, is um, making amazing sandwiches. And she's created this sweet um, market with uh, Lisa Calvo, the owner of Sweet Amalia, where you can stop by and get produce and oysters and fresh pasta and gourmet products and things like that on your way to Cape May.
2: Ooh, so that's the next one. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you just—if you could see how much I just super perked up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it's a gorgeous little market. It's about forty minutes outside of Philly, but um, worth—well worth the
2: drive. So, most certainly. Um, now, I—I I do not want to have to let you go, but I know that you are a very busy, busy woman and a very busy entrepreneur. Um, So where can our listeners find you?
3: Well, um, so High Street Hospitality Group operates a few restaurants, Fork in Old City at 306 Market Street, High Street, which we relocated to Washington Square, right in the Franklin Building on Jefferson campus. That's takeout and delivery and outdoor seating. Um, But we might be starting a new program soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, and a kitchen and bar in Rittenhouse Square at the corner of 18th and Walnut, which is part of AKA Rittenhouse Square. And um, High Street Provisions in West Philadelphia um, at Franklin's Table, which is a quick serve um, small version of um, High Street. And of course, the Wonton Project is available there and at um, High Street, Philly.
2: All right, thank you so much, Ellen, for joining us. And thank for, you, and, thank
4: you, thank and, you, Ellen.
2: And if you have anything else new that that's coming up, feel free to reach out, and I will bring you back on. Sounds great. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Ellen. Let's thank take you. A, take care. Thank you. Let's take a break. Bye. Let's take a break, and we will be right back. To become a sponsor of our
5: show
0: and promote your business or event on every single podcast platform including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many more. In addition to talk radio, WWDB and WPEN HD2, 97.5 FM, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Evening drive time. Send us an email to diningonadime at yahoo.com for our very low rates. Our show is now legally an LLC business.
1: And we're back. Amorous Pollack, introduce your outstanding guest.
2: Hi. So I want to in- introduce Paula Galey to our guests, or, uh, sorry, to our uh, listeners so that they can hear all about Lower Forge Brewery that's in Medford, New Jersey. So Paula, welcome to our show.
1: Hello, Paula. Yes. Yeah. Welcome to the show.
6: Thank you.
2: Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Lower Forge and, you know, how you guys got started?
6: So my son was uh, the one who came up with the idea of opening a brewery. And uh, I was a single mom most of his life. And while he was making the plans, um, you know, after, I was a single mom. After he turned 21, if there's something to talk about, we <laughs> did it over food, booze, and cigars.
2: Because
6: Hello? going you got me? Are we still there? Yeah, we're still here Hello okay, so we're we're sitting on the porch one day, and we're talking about he's opening the brewery, and uh by this time, like I was not a beer drinker until he became a home brewer. Hello. And um, I'm babysitting And I made an agreement with them That they would leave me alone But I'm locking myself in
2: the bathroom I'm locking
6: myself in the bathroom now
2: You know what's funny? That's that's to your next generation of of owners For a Lower Forge Brewery Saying hello to our listeners
6: The next generation Is already designing uh, sodas So that's a good thing
2: That is a good thing So
6: anyway I said to them How can I help? I can cook and he looked at me, and he's like, yeah, the scotch drinker, you know, going to make beer? <laughs> and the next thing you know, we were we were brewing together. And, uh, you know, I, I took some of his recipes home with me. And every woman, once you get a recipe in your own house, you change it. So I started changing up recipes and doing some things that were a little different. And we started really just having fun. And uh, it's a little interesting for us because we hear from the National Association that there are other son-mother, mother-son brewing teams. Uh, well, I should say in breweries, but I'm the only one on the brew house floor because I said he is not making beer without me. <laughs> he's not going to have all that fun and have me not be involved, and in, 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 in I love every part of it. I am very much like the Brewsters of the 14th century more than I am the modern person, but I'm okay with that.
2: So out of your beers that that are on tap right now, like how many, you know, have have is more towards your recipe than his?
6: Oh, I w- I would say right now it's it's kind of even. I think we have eight beers on tap and um Usually I I tease, I say, you know, like I like the Saisons, the Farmhouse Ales, Mm -hmm. uh, and he likes the Dark and Scary. But he's made some of our lighter beers as well and came up with the recipes. Because we're always looking for something that's a a little different and, um, you know, very drinkable. Yeah. Uh, We talk to to our customers a lot, and we like to have, you know, you're not going to come to Lower Forge and say uh, all of our beers are the same. I mean, we have everything from things that are really light and fruity to um, the latest one we brought out that's got everybody raising their eyebrows. Is we have a golden stout on nitro. And I think every stout has to be dark and coffee like.
2: hmm I had that. That was that like. That one's his. Oh, that was? Because I had that. It was yeah. a white witch. I, I mean, and and mm-hmm. I, I'm i drawn to anything that says stout. So the fact that you had a golden stout, I was like, okay, I have to check this out. It was really good.
6: Yeah, yeah. And people are surprised because they go like, oh, it's not dark. It doesn't taste like coffee. Where's the chocolate? And then they go, oh, can I have another? And I <laughs> smile and I say. Let me get that
2: for you. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely lighter. It has not that heavy, that heaviness that, you know, your atypical stout would have, but it's golden. So I wasn't expecting it to be like a heavier stout. Um, And I've had several of your other uh, brews as well, including the When Life Gives You Lemon, which has, I mean, very distinct lemon flavors. (laughs) Um, Oh, yes. And, uh, and I've also had, I believe, one of your uh, flagship beers, which I think is the Heffenweizen. Yeah, the Healthy, Wealthy and Weizen. Yes.
6: That was, that, was our, that was our very first beer that we brewed and came out with. We came out with the, the Heffenweizen and um, a black IPA that we eventually tweaked into a porter and put it on nitro because people. So when we first opened, we'd been bleeding cash for years. So we had the hepalizin, we put it on the Randall where we infused it with watermelon and lime, Mm -hmm. and then we took the black IPA and had it on CO2 and nitro. Same exact beer, different mouth flavor, different characteristics. And so that gave us some time to be open and brew other beers and and to find out what our customers wanted us to brew.
2: Well, yeah, and and, I mean, that's... A huge thing because you need to not only, you know, listen to your customers, but you need to make sure you have that balance because then, you know, you get the people who are more into the IPAs and the the hoppier beers, mm-hmm. but then you also have myself who likes the stouts and of course the newbies that, you know, are afraid to dip their toes in the, the craft beer beer business. And so they like the sweeter things like your your yes. strawberry jam. That's mm-hmm. my jam. You know, the, sh- the shandies and whatnot. Yeah. Um, now, I have to say that you were instrumental, I think, with creating um, a platform for the businesses in Medford, New Jersey to, you know, encourage business by, you know, the food trucks that you have every. So, so,
3: so, the, so the food trucks are all
6: the township. That was actually the mayor's idea uh, that he took to council. But prior to that, there was no uh, tourism and there was no money for tourism or promotion. So Abbey is the power behind uh, and the brains behind Destination Medford. So being able and being part of the uh, downtown merchants, the Main Street Merchants Association and our merchants trying to work together, we had no idea in the beginning how important that was going to become with the shutdowns and everything that we faced um, afterwards. So the food trucks are great. They are Because breweries <clears> in New Jersey are not allowed to have anything to do with food or food trucks. <laughs> so the township has a food truck night once a month on the third Thursday of the month from March through December. And just like
2: magic, there's one outside the brewery. <laughs> exactly, and you know I, I was there prior to the food trucks being you know par- part of that third Thursday of every month. and you know, mm-hmm. I and I believe that was right before all the shutdowns happened or you know, or mm-hmm. right there on that cusp. and you know, that was that concern. and so you know how like and I remember you and I discussed how we were well, how you would stay afloat you know, with the the looming, you know, shutdown. So Mm -hmm. I know that that was something that you were discussing with the township of Medford.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, uh, we we worked so hard to have a vibrant Main Street and things were really going um, in a beautiful, we were doing well. And then to think that everything was going to boom, stop, We had to figure, and we had an opportunity even during the holidays when we didn't have inside seating for some of the holidays. We we worked with uh, Braddock's Tavern, where you could order your dinner from there and get a bottle of beer from Lower Forge. And And it, it was, the cross promotions are always very popular with people.
2: Yeah. And, you know, now moving forward, since things have opened back up, you know, not only do you have that third Thursday, but I've noticed there's a booming business along Main Street in Medford. Um, and I don't know how much of that is pertaining to the food trucks versus, you know, everybody's like, let's try to, to move forward in this environment. But I do know that, you know, historic Main Street Medford has several businesses that have opened back up including um, mm-hmm. some uh, I wanna say an Asian infusion kind of restaurant that's even just down the r-
6: Yes. The the Accelerator uh-huh. Cafe is two doors two doors away from us.
2: You know and and you have and, and sorry, keep and going then you
6: have ITA what ITA one oh one is only three doors away from us. So you have you know easy takeout food, you have um, ITA which is a BYOB and we work uh, very well with the owners. He often uses our beer in his recipes. Uh, people will come up and get growlers or they get a beer to go. Uh, I've delivered growlers to the restaurant. So, you know, the idea of a family ministry, uh
2: people working together and being good neighbors and having fun. What a concept. <laughs> it's a great concept. And uh, speaking of having fun, I saw something that I've not seen Ever, which was basically a beer slushy, like I've never <laughs> yes. seen a beer slushy before <laughs> until I I was there the other night. Um, so, how did you come about creating the beer slushy, and whose idea was it?
6: So, um, I, I'm going to put that on Sean,
2: <laughs> my
6: son. I raised that boy right. He wanted to make alcohol, and he has all these great ideas. Um, So we were doing some research into, if you remember, 2020, the summer, July and August was so hot, Mm -hmm. so hot. And we were only allowed outside seating. There was no inside seating. We could go to go and outside. And people sitting outside in the heat, we were like, you know, beer is cold, but how long does it stay cold? What can we do? What can we do that's different, fun, and, you know, appropriate for the summer? So we did our, We did have to drink a few in other places in other states, and then uh, then we had to decide too with what kind of beers, you know, that we're using. So based on beers, we only use real fruit um, and and cane sugar. We don't use any high fructose high fructose sugar, um, and we change it up. Last week it was uh, strawberry, banana, and peach. Sounds interesting. You know, on on top of our Hefeweizen, which the Hefeweizen beer, when you flavor it with other things or use it in the Randall, it accepts um, other flavors really well and doesn't overpower them. But it's fun. The other day I was working late and I was hot and all of a sudden I went, ooh, I could have a slushie.
2: There you go. And it
6: was, yeah, there you go. It was wonderful. I may have had two, but (laughs) no one else was there. So I don't think
2: anyone was counting. <laughs> I was going to say I don't think anybody's going to judge you. You you own a brewery and you're you're working like <laughs> Go on have that slushy.
4: It's called research.
2: There
6: you go. It's called R&D. You got it. Quality
2: control. <laughs> <laughs> um now since you are a Jersey brewery, do you work closely with some of the purvey- purveyors um that you know, like Farms like Johnson's Farms, for one, um, that, that are nearby so that you get your fresh yeah, fruit? Yes. Yeah.
6: We, we do things uh, differently with several of the local farms. So, number one, um, the majority of our grain comes from Rabbit Hill Farms in Shiloh, New Jersey, and has for several years. Um, so uh, we're really excited because they're starting to roast now, so we'll be able to get all of our grain at some point from them. And then uh, we work a lot with the Whalen Farms over in Chemung for cranberries and blueberries. Um, And then uh, our spent greens, Jennings Farm over behind um, our Acme here in Medford and some other small farmers will use it for either animal feed or composting. And recently we formed a a partnership uh, with Stokeman Winery. Because they're going to be using our spent grains for um, for composting and fertilizer. Because it seems deer doesn't the deer don't particularly
2: like to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anything that can you know protect their their produce. Sure. Yep. Any, and and help
6: it to grow. And with us, we've never in all the years we've been open, uh, which is over five and a half. None of our spend grain has ever gone in the landfill. It has always been used for animal fields, animal feed, or composting. And another farm is the organic farm at the Pinelands Preservation Alliance. Um, when I give a call, they'll come and pick up our grain and, and feeding their pigs with it. Oh, that's interesting.
2: Pigs eat anything, too. I mean, so
6: <laughs> Yes, they do. But you know what? It's really nice to have that. Circle and that support. Um, so Lower Forge is on the list of sustainable businesses in New Jersey. So we're always trying to see what can we do. Um, Making beer is a, a natural resource intensive industry. So anything that you can do to lessen your footprint makes it better. I mean, clean water is so important. We're coming up to a day where they celebrate clean water. Where I'll be running around saying, "Hey, no water, no beer," <laughs> and uh, that's speaks becoming increasingly important
2: it is it's it's immensely important um and everything like everything kind of feeds into itself so you know but you know as a human being who likes beer it's definitely important to have that clean water um amen (laughs) amen so um what do you have event-wise going on at lower forge
6: so we do our trivia on Thursday nights, except for um, uh, the food truck night where we're busy. Uh, and then coming up this Saturday, we have Mary Beth Johns will be uh, performing at the brewery. And then uh, Medford has some big events coming up itself in September. They have their Oktoberfest on uh, September 18th at Freedom Park. And then they have their Art, Wine and Music Festival
2: on uh, Main Street on September 19th. And I assume that you're going to participate to some degree. Absolutely. Well, we'll certainly
6: be open for the. You know, it, there's a lot of people that say, "Oh, I don't drink beer." Well, we'll be open on the 19th for those people that say, "Oh, I, I prefer not to drink wine." Mm. Uh, we'll be there, <laughs> and a little bit of both. A little bit of both because I love the wineries, and I might sneak out and buy a bottle or two. I've been known to do that. <laughs>
4: It's called research. I'm,
6: I'm an omni drinker. <laughs> it's more research. Exactly. i doing nothing if not doing research.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of research, how can our listeners research where to find you?
6: So we're on Facebook as Lower Forge Brewery. We have a very active Instagram account, which is the same. Um, and uh, you can find us at 14 South Main Street. In Medford, right in downtown Medford, and there's plenty of nearby parking.
1: All right. Thank you so much. It
4: was a pleasure having you on the show. I look forward to having some beer and kibbasi with you.
6: (laughs) (laughs) And I will. Listen, I'm. No. Amoris is a, a witness, so she'll
2: hold. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Tune in to Dining on a Dime to hear from Gene Blum, our chef, educator, consultant, and historian. You can find him across social media at ibfoodie2 or Gene Blum at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com and you can also tune in to listen to Amorous Pollock and find her across social media at arpollockus at gmail.com. Chef Gene!
4: Well good evening everyone. Happy National Peach Day. So to wind out our show today just a couple little things about you know the events industry and and food in general. So today is actually National Peach Pie Day. So a little bit about peaches in the world of peaches. So peaches from China originally, not from America. Though we all like to say there's nothing better than Georgia peach.
2: I'm sorry. You're killing me. I want to do peaches. They come (laughs) from a can. They were put there by a man.
4: (laughs) I love that. You do that so well. So a little bit about peaches. Uh, You know, up here in the Philadelphia region, if nobody knows, there's something called the peach truck. That comes up to area markets this time of year and sets up in a parking lot and delivers fresh Georgia peaches by the bushel. You can buy them, really inexpensive. Because in Georgia, they produce 130 million pounds of peaches a year of the 1.9 billion pounds produced in this country. But, you know, California, South Carolina, big producers also.
2: And where's the wrong address so that everybody else goes somewhere else while <laughs> I buy up all the peaches? Uh,
4: that's the way to go. Way to go. <laughs> you know. So my question to everybody out there, you can get back to me at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. And the first person to uh, I get an email from, I have a special gift from. Uh, peaches are the third most popular fruit in America. What are one and two? Give me first Oh, Nice. Can, what are first and second? So, enough about peaches, though. We're coming in a Labor Day weekend, a day that we all like to celebrate on the hard work and dedication of everybody in the hospitality industry. And in Philadelphia, we have this wonderful event called Made in America. It is a event on the parkway, food trucks, great music, all kinds of fun stuff happening this year. It is a two-day event. And let me tell you a little bit about what goes into two days of Made in America. So I'm going to talk a little bit about crew catering because my good friends at Innovative Catering Concept, Rocco Galelli, and obviously we have heard from Chef Nate numerous times. So as of this morning, the order for Innovative Catering Concepts for Made in America is 1,114 box lunches, 33 overnight snacks, 2,757 dinners, 2,949 lunches, 921 breakfasts, 671 breaks, and 2,400 all-day beverages that will go into that couple-day event there on the Parkway. So, kudos to the boost in the hospitality spending in the city of Philadelphia, going into Made in America, and all those great things. But as we get into the fall, too, we want to make sure that everybody's really getting a great taste of what fall brings. So Amaris and I have a couple great things coming up for you in the near future for you to stay tuned. Amaris is going to be taking a trip up through the Hudson Valley and stopping at numerous places along that trip. I will be following shortly after. And in the very next, uh, very...
2: Because ladies first. Ladies first, <laughs> always. That is
4: always my motto, ladies first. But in the coming weeks, we have some wonderful guests from the Hudson Valley and the Finger Lake area coming to talk to us about mead, about wine, about uh, history, about sustainable agriculture, and so many other things. And as we wind down the show today, I need to do a very special shout out Here in the city of Philadelphia, one of the greats in the hospitality industry, retired. He actually has like three more events left, but we held his retirement um, about two weeks or about a week ago. So a big shout out to Bob Slim Bob Mills from Philly Event Group. But more importantly, uh, the guiding force for the last 10 years behind uh, the International Live Events Association. ILEA, we know it here. Bob, enjoy your retirement. I have a couple other people I know chimed in and and did that. And kudos for all you did to keep ILEA right at the forefront of what was happening in the events industry. Thank you for ILEA for all you do and wishing you and Cindy just many years of your grandchildren and your friends and everyone else. Happy retirement, Bob.
7: My name is Jim Wilkinson, and uh, I, I'm a good friend of Bob Mills. Uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing Bob for the past, oh, three or four years, um, and he is just an amazing man. Um, I spend most of my time with Bob out on the golf course, um, and I, I, I once asked Bob, I said, you know, what is the most important thing about life? And without skipping a beat, Bob just said, comfortable shoes. Um which, which I take to heart. As a teacher, I've learned to just wear very comfortable shoes because of what Bob said. Um, but he is also just fabulous in the way that he treats people. There is nobody uh, that Bob doesn't want to talk to. There is nobody that Bob doesn't want to make uh, feel comfortable and feel at home. Um, and he is just always always a gentleman, always positive, always caring. Um, and as far as his business career, he is just incredibly uh, focused
5: and wants to give
7: uh, his all to everything that he does.
5: Hi, my name is Eric Walker. I'm with Tons of Fun, and I've been working with Bob Flimbab, Bob Mills with party, uh, Philly Event Group for uh Close to 10 years, and uh, yes, I know he just retired. Yes. We just had a party for him, and uh, we were happy to send him off. Uh, he's been a great ally and, and a good friend of mine and my companies for that many years. Uh, put a lot of effort and uh, emphasis in the special events industry in the local area, everywhere from DC uh, up to our areas. And uh, i have just uh, really proud to call him a friend. And uh, uh, like I said, a, a ally and uh, a colleague in the special events industry i've uh, been in it for a long time now and he came in about 10 12 years ago as the second or third um uh, uh uh career and he made the best of it he made friends with everybody he's real approachable real likable we all love him when we started to uh, design our retirement party for him uh when i asked for help everybody just said whatever you need for bob that's all we said. So uh, uh, he's uh, loved and adored by the industry, and uh, we're real happy that uh, he has uh, finished out his uh, uh, career uh, in the events industry, and he and Cindy can go and enjoy uh, a retirement uh, well-deserved. So, uh, again, he's been a great friend to myself, my business, uh, and the industry, and uh, we wish him all the best and uh, goodwill. Love you, Bob. Thank you.
1: And we have a big giveaway next week. We're giving out lots of prizes because it's our third year on the air to celebrate. So tune in next week for those uh, giveaways. Philly Restaurant Reviews with NS.com for all information about the show.
2: Amaris Pollock. You can find me on social media at AR or you can find me under my name, Amaris Pollock. Or if you would like to be a guest on our show, my email is A-R-P-O-L-L-O-C-K-U-S at gmail.com.
4: Chef Jean! You can find me across social media at Jean Blum or IBFoodie2, or you can always email me directly at IBFoodie2 at yahoo.com. That's IBFoodie2 at yahoo.com. Happy National Peace Pie, everyone. Peace Pie Day. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.